Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to our epistle reading, Philippians chapter 1, verses, the last half of verse 18 through verse 26. This morning is the third sermon in our series this fall where we're going through um, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in these seven and a half verses that we're looking at this morning, Paul pulls the curtain back on three really important topics, uh, very mysterious topics, very complicated issues. He pulls the curtain back on three things that are really relevant for us today. Number one, prayer. Number two, our bodies. And number three, death. Let's start right at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Remember, Paul's in prison. At this point in time, in, this, in the Roman culture, when you were in jail, it's because you were awaiting trial. And in trial, the options were innocent or guilty. If you're innocent, have a good time. Get on with your life. If you're guilty, then either there's a fee, a fine, a beating, banishment, or death. And when you were in jail, the government provided no food and no water. And it was squalid conditions. It was hard to survive jail. Lots of death, lots of diseases, lots of dysentery. He is in a to quote one of the great movies of all time, a tight spot. My hair, my hair. Now, he says in verse 18, I will rejoice. That's bizarre, right? Because he's sitting in this really treacherous moment. I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my salvation, my deliverance. Now, I want us to notice what he's teaching us about prayer here. Prayer is mysterious, but it is a vital part of the gospel advancing. And this is a very different view of prayer than many of us have been taught to think instinctively about prayer. You see, we live in a culture that's 300 years deep into a particular view of God and the universe it's this idea that if God does exist, then he's kind of upstairs somewhere pulling strings that he would pull anyway. And so when we pray, what? Like, is somebody not going to die if I pray? And if I don't pray, they're going to die. And isn't God God if he does exist? And he's going to do what he's going to do. Prayer is really, in our culture today, a form of therapy. It has positive benefits for us. We get centered. We open ourselves up to a higher power. This is the general kind of view that's in the air today that makes it hard for us to believe in prayer. It makes us confused about prayer. We tend to see coincidences, not necessarily specific answers to specific prayers. 
But that's not the picture the Bible teaches. It's not the picture that Jesus' followers have believed in down through the centuries. Our struggles with prayer are because we live in the West. It's because we live 300 years into a different religion infiltrating our thinking. The religion of deism. That if there is a God, he's up there somewhere and he's going to pull the strings if he wants to pull the strings or not. But when we read the Bible, this verse is a great example. God acts differently when we pray than when we don't pray. He does. He acts different when we pray than when we don't pray. If you don't really believe prayer works, your prayer life is going to exist in fits and starts. But you can have a hard time maintaining a vigorous, robust, constant prayer life. When we stand up together in a few minutes and we call one another to pray, this is one of the most important moments in the week for this city. When God's people gather in God's house and together they stand up like priests. And they bring the cares of this city to the king. God acts differently if we bring the cares of the city to the king than if we don't. Prayer is the way we partner with God in the work of the gospel. And it's mysterious. How does this work with free will, sovereignty, all of that? Yes, it is mysterious. And yet... At the end of the day, prayer is one of the primary fundamental ways that God brings us into partnership with his spirit for the advance of the gospel. Listen to the verse again. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. God's work in the world is a partnership with humans. It's always been that way. When he made Adam and Eve, he was like, okay, I've been making things. I've been naming things. All right, now tag, you're it. And the first thing he tells Adam to do is name the animals, partner with me, do the things I've been doing. Our prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus will lead our city more and more into the kingdom. When I was in the hospital in ICU with COVID, it was through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus that I lived. The medical care at RMH was amazing. Some of you in this room were my nurses. The physicians who attended to me, some of you are in our church. Your medical treatment was so important. But even with that... You told me one weekend and my wife to get our affairs in order. That nobody knew if I was going to make it through the weekend. But so many of you, the spirit of Jesus woke you up that night. And you prayed like you've never prayed before. You told me this. 
people in our church told me that they were praying at stoplights. They, they weren't making themselves pray. They were finding themselves in prayer like they had never found themselves in prayer before. You know what that is? That's the spirit of Jesus and the prayers of the saints. And I lived. You saved me. What else is waiting on the prayers of the people and the spirit of Jesus in this city? Paul is faith, facing death in prison. I know, though, that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus. And I know what he's saying because I can say I, too, was saved. Now, look, our church needs to grow in prayer. Why? Because if we grow in prayer, things will be different in this city. The gospel will advance further in this city. Why? Because prayer is a key way that the gospel advances. How many of us need to pray more and pray better? That there is maturing that can happen in our prayer lives. I'm so convinced of this that I've asked Eric Cotting to develop the prayer course. And it's my desire and prayer and goal that everybody in our church takes it. That you go through essentials, and then some point when essentials is over, you go through the prayer course. And we're starting it. The first one starts on September the 10th. It's in fall through our new Sunday school opportunity. It's going to be during the second service at 1045. So all of you people who like this service... It's good to go for you. If, if, you are just fake, if you're here this morning because somebody made you get up earlier um, and you're really a second service person, next semester in the spring, we're offering it during the morning service. And we're going to keep offering it. And our prayer and our desire and our intention is that everybody in our church, high school and up, goes through the prayer course. Why? Because things will be different in this city. Number two. Paul not only shows us, pulls back the curtain on prayer, Paul also shows us something about our bodies, something we need to learn today, because just like with prayer, our culture is misinforming us, mistraining us when it comes to our bodies. Look at verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, here's the deal. Your body matters. Your physical body matters. It's so important that, for example, if Keith were to walk up to one of you right now, pull out a knife and try to take part of your body for himself, like a hand. You know, and if you, if you cooperated with the um, divestiture of your hand, there are laws about this, right? If someone violates your body, we have laws that will put them in prison. When you're hurting inside and it's coming out by cutting or starving or abusing through exercise or purging your bodies, what, what's happening is that you're trying to feel something, right? Your body matters. 
But the way we think about our bodies today is often as if we own our bodies, as if we are the final decision makers of our bodies. And so often when it comes to our bodies, the issue we ask and think and the way we look at it is, it's my body, what do I want to do with it? But Paul's starting point for thinking about the body is it's Christ who owns my body. How can I honor Christ? Have you ever asked that question? For real. Have you ever been sick? Your body's sick? And you lay in bed asking, God, how can through the sickness of my body I honor you? Those of you, I mean, I can totally relate, who have this gift of physical beauty, right? Those of us. (laughs) And some of you have this, right? There is such a thing in every culture, in every generation, as the form of beauty. Does our culture teach people with the form of beauty to ask first, how can I honor Jesus with my body. Have you ever approached the challenges you are facing with your body by thinking through the pathway that will bring honor to Jesus through your body? Paul was in jail. He was facing a likely beating, starvation, or death. His body was being abused and his frame of reference was with full courage. Now, as always, he was going to let his body bring honor to Jesus, whether his body lived or died. Now, what does that mean? Well, he goes on and explains what he means in verse 21. He says, you see, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor with my body. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. But to remain in the body is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Look, Paul is a verbal processor. You're getting to see him like, okay, This could go this way, this could go that way. And as he works his way through that, he lands on, I'm going to live. But along the way, he shows us that if Paul is beaten to death, if he is executed or starved in jail, he is there because he's a Christian. Being a Christian is what landed him in chains. That's why he's on trial for his life. And if it turns that out that way, if he's killed, the fact of his death will bear witness to the fact that the Lord Jesus is worth dying for. And so with his body, he is going to honor Jesus. Not least of all, that he's worth dying for, but also that he holds the keys of death and hell so he can look right into death and not be afraid. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer going to his murderous death at the hand of Nazis because of his Christian faith. Like our own Bishop Andudu facing death time and time again, but choosing to press on in order to advance the gospel in his body Paul, Christ is being honored and held up as worth everything. Now, if he lives, he's going to keep on using his body to advance the gospel. Dying is better for Paul 
because he gets to leave the pain and the suffering of the world. And he gets that incredible intimacy with Jesus that those who die in Christ have. Dying is better for him. Living is better for the Philippians because they need him. Either way, Paul is going to honor Jesus. I know what this is like. I remember coming into consciousness, being told, get your affairs in order, and thinking, oh, I'll get to be with Jesus. That's good for me. I hope my family will be okay. Me living is better for them. Now, what about you? Do you see that your body is fundamental to the gospel? To the gospel advancing. When you think about a new tattoo, when you think about looking at pornography, when you think about your health, when you think about your, your sickness, your disease, the way your body is hurting, do you think this body belongs to Jesus? In your struggle with body temptations, sex, violence, abuse, do you think about Jesus? Thankfully, look, our culture is coming to grips with the ways we've shamed women over their bodies through the years. And there is so much work left to do on this. But as we discover the dark side of the purity culture, let's not forget that pendulum can swing and there's a dark side of the vanity culture. When you look in the mirror at the beautiful shirt or the nice outfit that looks good on you, are you looking in the mirror and using your body for vanity or for Jesus? Laura Lowe on our staff, she's, she told the staff the other day about these interesting things she's beginning to learn and read about modesty culture and purity culture. And she, she thinks, and I think Laura's right about this, that a better question to ask ourselves when it comes to dress is not, is it modest, but is it vain? Because is it vain won't lead as strongly and directly to body shaming. If you've recovered from the modesty addiction, but you're embracing a vanity addiction, you need to repent. Here's the good news. Jesus receives our repentance. Oh, he's so good. Like we get to repent to one who's not waiting to just plop us, right? God will hear your prayer and he will forgive you. And you can ask the Father to give you more of his spirit so that you can find your way with wisdom through the treacherous waters of how we inhabit our bodies 
in the culture with its messages, with our past experiences with them? How can you use your body to honor Jesus? My wife recently did the most remarkable thing. She got a giant tattoo on her arm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. For years she's been asking, how can I bring more honor to God through my body? And I think that is just a remarkably creative and beautiful move. She can't get away from it. It's not ambiguous. It's big. And she even did the whole Bible thing where the Lord is like um, smaller caps. You know, this is Yahweh. (laughs) This is Jesus Christ. Stop having sex outside of marriage. Stop dressing for vanity's sake. Stop hurting people with your hands as you struggle with your gender and your sexual orientation. Start and end your thinking with the desire to honor God with your body. And this is not easy. I mean, I'm right. I'm sure there are people in the room. If somebody poked you right now, you'd burst out in tears. This is so difficult. This is so private. It's so complicated. Some of us will need really good therapy, not simply repentance. Some of us don't need to repent. We need to be healed. And some of us are going to need really good therapy to help us sort out the mystery of our bodies. Find a therapist who will help you inhabit your body to the honor of Jesus. Finally, a third complicated and mysterious topic. I mean, as if that one is not enough. Paul not only pulls back the curtain and says, look, right thinking leads to right praying. we got to get away from deism. Right thinking leads to right living in your body. Thirdly, he deals with death. Verse 21. For me to, for to me... Living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, die, and be with Jesus. That is far better. Now look, the idea that death is gain was a slogan in Paul's culture. The Greek and Roman religions at the time all believed this. Paul lived in a world where death was inescapable. It was everywhere. There was high infant mortality rates, low life expectancy, natural disasters killed without discretion of age or gender or ethnicity. Healthcare was primitive. Disease and dysentery were especially common in prisons. Life was considered cheap, and governing authorities had no qualms about ordering someone's death, and soldiers had no inhibitions about carrying it out. The cultures of that day understood death because it was ubiquitous. They understood death as gain because it was an escape from the pain and misfortunes of life. It was a release from the body. In other words, many of the religions in Paul's day said that dying was gain because you finally get to escape this stupid old body. In this mean world that keeps hurting you. But that is not what Paul means by death is gain. That's what 
Zach Bryan on his latest amazing album. If you haven't been listening to it, then I suspect you as being a bad person. <laughs> but when he talks about death, that's what he's doing. He's just like the Stoics. He's just like the Epicureans. He's a neo-pagan, just like the rest of America today. He thinks about death as an escape from this stupid body and this tired old world. And I love his songs, and I'm going to keep listening while I sit back in judgment on him. <laughs> you see, what Paul is doing here is he wants the Philippians to know that death itself does not have to produce terror or great sorrow. It's gain in a different way. He does not say for me to die is to get to escape this body. No, remember the body matters. He says for me to die is Jesus. Paul loved Jesus so much that the prospect of death was like, I've been waiting on this. There's a place to sing I'll fly away, right? There are moments in life where life hurts so bad, it's legitimate to just long to fly away. But that is not the, the problem with that song is that it ends there and it gets caught up by Americans into as if the end of the game is heaven. It's not the end of the game. Look, for Paul, I get to be with Jesus. He wants the Philippians to know that if the verdict goes the wrong way, he gets Jesus. Remember what he told the thief on the cross? Today, not you will get to get away from the pain. That's, yeah, that's there. But even bigger than that, today you will what? Be with me. Not be with grandma, which is what we always bring up, right? I get to see my loved ones. No, for Paul, are the loved ones available to us or not in heaven? I don't know. They will be in the new heavens the new earth. The Bible doesn't really say much about that. But it does say we get Jesus I know what that's like. I know what it's like to think, well, on the one hand, I would really love to leave all this and be with my king because being with Jesus in his fuller presence in a new mode for which the present way I know him and am near to him is just the beginning to imagine getting to be with him on the other side of death is just unimaginable. And if you don't know him so much that you find that just amazing, then there is so much more for you to know of him. But Paul is not determining to face death like the religions of his day. He is not facing death with a kind of stoic antipathy toward death. He's not asking his friends to dance on his grave in defiance of death. He's explaining and he's even embodying how to die in the grip of grace. How we can die in faith. How we finish the race in faithfulness to King Jesus. He's showing us how to die like a Christian. Whether at the hands of the, of the executioner or the hand of cancer. When you die, you can die like a Christian. And you can offer your friends and your family and our church, all of us, a, a model of what it looks like to follow Jesus into the grave. Notice what happens to a Christian when we die. We have a spiritual mode of existence. We're personal, intimate communion with Jesus. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.3, our lives are hid with Christ in God. We are alive to God, awaiting the final resurrection, which he brings up in every chapter of Philippians. 
You see, like Paul wrote in Romans, nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God. Right thinking lives to right living in Philippians. We need to think right about pray, prayer so that we can pray right. We need to learn to think right about our bodies so that we can inhabit our bodies rightly. We need to learn to think right about death so that we can die right. If you are afraid of death, if you have questions about death and dying, start dealing with it now. Don't stuff it. Our churches need to be schools of preparation for death. Share your struggles with others. Own up to them. One of the biggest moments in my own Christian journey was when I was a youth pastor and I admitted to the church that I was bored by the thought of heaven. I couldn't stand a a worship service that lasted much over an hour and 15. I couldn't imagine eternity, right? I could sing of your love forever gets old. My problem was I thought heaven was the end of the game, not the new heavens and the new earth. And it was a key turning moment for me when I, br- when I came out of the closet on my struggles with death and dying. Share it with your small group. Pray about it. Make an appointment with one of our pastors. The time to prepare for death is decades before you face it. Right thinking lives to right living, right praying, right use of our bodies, and right dying. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.